we are starting a new uh, series this morning called Forming Your Family's Faith. And what we recognize is the family was a creation of God. It was God's, uh, the institution that God created in the beginning to build all of civilization on. You know, the first uh, thing God did uh, when, uh, he, when the world was created, humanity started, created a man and a woman. And he said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. And so uh, the truth is that uh, that's God's plan, his design. And he has built uh, civilization on the family. And so the family's so important, and that's why the enemy attacks it. That's why the enemy's trying to destroy families. That's why the enemy's trying to stop our marriages from working and our families from being successful at pointing our children to follow him. That's why he's trying to bring discouragement. And so as a church, we want to focus on that for the next month and build up your family. And so we're going to look at marriage today and focus on that and how to build uh, strong marriages and how to revive those marriages. We're going to look at, uh, then we're going to follow up with looking at how you need to uh, raise your children and discipleship inside the home. And then we're going to focus in on how the church is designed and how specifically Mitchell DeBreen is set up and designed to help you and assist you at discipleship within your family. And then the last week, we're going to look at how we're to live on mission and how we really can make a difference in the world. That Sunday, the last Sunday in this month, we'll have Compassion Sunday. We'll have Compassion International here with some of those children. You're probably familiar with that. And so good stuff going on this month. Um, make sure you're here. You're going to learn and grow through it and, uh, and take advantage of what we have going on. Um, if uh, I know we have some singles in our church, and, and there's uh, some of you here saying, well, is this month, you know, should I just check out? No. No, you're going to get, listen, we're, we're studying the Word of God, okay? And so God's Word is applicable to all of us. We're talking about relationships, which we all need help with. And so, no, you're going to benefit from it. And I would ask you not to be, um, you might feel a little uh, jaded or a little slighted at it. Don't, don't let that um, fill your heart. Pray for the families in our church. Pray for those that are working at that, uh, even if God hasn't called you to do that. And, you know, the Apostle Paul said singleness is awesome. I wish everybody was single like me, right? So singleness is fantastic. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. So we're not putting a value on anything. But this month we're focusing on families because we know that's important. And so pray for families as you listen and learn, and God's going to speak to you too. Um, this Sunday we have a special treat in that we have Scott and Diane Mathis with us. And uh, Scott and Diane were here for 19 years, uh, pastored this church. God used them to do some amazing things here. And so Scott's now the president of the Brian Fellowship, which is our denomination. And so God's uh, placed him in that role to build up our entire group. And so thankful they could be here. Guys, come and share with us what God's put on your heart regarding marriages. Hi, howdy, Mitchell Berean. Thanks, Pastor John. It is great to be here. Back at Mitchell Berean, it seems unbelievable to us that uh, 10 years ago we left uh, to plant Sunrise. 10 years wow. we've been gone. <laughs> For some of you that you're like, yeah, thank you, Lord. But, uh, so. so Pastor John asked us to teach on marriage today. You know, Benjamin Franklin, who was one of our forefathers in the, in the United States, said this about marriage. Before marriage, keep your eyes wide open. After marriage, keep them half shut. There's a lot of truth to that. Di and I didn't do that. Uh, we had our eyes half shut before marriage, and then after marriage, we got them wide open, and we're like, what did we do? We met in a bar. Four days later, we moved in together. Not long after that, she got pregnant. Came to me with one of them sticks that changed colors. 
<laughs> Seventh floor McIntyre uh, in Laramie, Wyoming at the university. I'm like, get an abortion. Hmm. And I'll never forget, her eyes teared up a little bit, and she's like, no, I, I'm not going to do that. So I got drunk and said, let's get married. The romantic dream, romance of every girl, right? I mean, great way to begin a marriage, huh? Hardly know each other, live together, then let's get married. So we got married, and oh my goodness, it was wretched. She's a leader, I'm a leader. We are from completely different backgrounds, and it was bad. We had our daughter, who we loved, so we learned to fake it in public. We had a son who had incredibly rare disease. So we had to kind of rally at times to help raise him and keep him alive. But we could not stand each other. And five years into our marriage, Di came to me and was like, Scott, let's get real here. Look what we're doing to each other. Look what we're doing to these kids. We need to get a divorce. I hated God, hated Christians. I said, you know, we ought to go to a Christian marriage counselor. I couldn't believe I said that. I hate Christians, and I said that. We went to this counselor, and Di repented of her sin and broke that day. I got mad and told them both to go to you-know-where and stomped out. But God had a plan, and my wife changed, like major league changed. She <laughs> went from this emotionally locked, mean person, like mean, <laughs> And was really good at silent treatment. To, Scott, could I serve you? Scott, could I love you? I'm like, what? So I put her through a hard, hard time. But five months later, in March of 1990, I ended up giving my life to Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus changed our hearts towards each other. And we literally fell in love five years into our marriage. <laughs> and we want to share today... Our anniversary is in a couple days. Wednesday, this Wednesday, it'll be 36 years. 36 years. We are getting old. We just want to share the top 10 things we've learned about marriage after 36 years. So we're going to share these. We'll run through them fairly quickly. We don't have time to do them all justice, but um, we're going to share. So, Dai, go ahead. Well, before I get started, I have to say what an incredible joy it is to be here with Mitchell Green Church. Yes. We love you all so much. Um, like John said, we spent 19 of our 36 years here, so over half of our marriage was spent here learning these things that we're going to be talking about today. Mm -hmm. Living life with you and learning alongside you. So we have a special place in our heart. Uh, I don't get to travel with Scott as much as he, he goes to church to church, Brian church each weekend to preach. We took my elderly mom into our home and so I'm taking care of her so I don't get to travel with him as much. But there's certain trips that I'm like, I'm going. <laughs> I got to go see my homies here. And so it's just good to always come back to home mm -hmm. um, here at Mitchell. We Green. love so, this church. Yes, we do. And really, one of the hardest things we ever did was have to say goodbye to Mitchell Brian when God called us to go plant a church in, in Torrington. Yes. Um, but at the same time, it gives us incredible joy to come back here and see... Um, new faces. It's great to see the familiar faces, of course, but to see new faces really thrills our soul because that's evidence 
that this church is continuing to grow, and that's what we desire. So it's great to, to see each one of you. All right, so here we go. We're throwing a lot at you this morning, so hang on. Number one, we've learned that God is more concerned about our personal holiness than our happiness. You know, when our kids were young, those of you that know us, we have two adult kids. Um, When they were young, um, they loved for me to tell them make-believe stories. And our daughter, Courtney, always wanted stories about princesses. And our son, Shane, always wanted stories about cowboys. And so when you know it, my stories always ended with the princess finding her cowboy and them living happily ever after, right? I'm not so sure I was teaching my children (laughs) the right principle when it comes to marriage because um, don't so often we go into marriage with that wrong idea of living happily ever after. That's like our goal. And then all of a sudden, we're living with this person completely different than we are, and it's hard. And happily ever after goes out the window really fast. Um, think about how different we are. Our, the way we think is different. The way our needs are are different. The way we um, address problems and communicate is different Our personalities are different. Our backgrounds are always different. A lot of times our interests are different. And it's hard to live with someone so different than you are. And it took Scott and I years um, as we studied the word and tried to walk with Jesus and learn from him that he has a greater purpose in marriage than just making me happy. Mm. His purpose is to make us holy. And so he puts us in this relationship with someone different to teach us his way of unselfishness, of humility, of putting the other person before yourself. There's no greater relationship that gives us the opportunity to practice the relational commands that we find in Scripture. But so often we think, oh, I'm supposed to do that with the people in the church or the people in the community Well, really, the first person we're supposed to practice that, those relational commands, is with our spouse. Mm -hmm. And so my life verse is John 3.30, which says, Jesus must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. And that's really, I believe, what growing in holiness is all about, Jesus becoming greater in my life and me becoming less. But we we have a choice in that matter of holiness, of growing in holiness. I have to choose to surrender my wants, my desires, um, to the Lord's desires. And so marriage gives us the greatest platform to practice holiness every day. You know, positionally, we're completely holy in Christ. When God looks at you and I, if you are a Christian, God looks at you as completely uh, perfect through his son's righteousness. But then reading scripture, obviously, uh, we have to grow in our practical holiness. Positionally, we need to learn to live that out. But practically, we need to grow. And God uses marriage to grow us up and help us to learn to be more um, practically holy. The second thing we've learned is we've learned that prayer welds our hearts together uh, with the Lord. Mm. Uh, Married couples, how often do you pray together? Mm. 
Like, seriously, there probably isn't anything that Di and I have done that has helped us more. Because we've had to learn, we, we've had to work for about every inch of our marriage. <laughs> we are so different. And, and early on, some couple challenged us to pray together, and we began to intentionally pray together. Now, at first, it was really hard. Um, I grew up in a Christian home, so I knew kind of how to pray. I didn't. And so she, it was awkward for her, and she was like, eh, no, this is too weird. Yeah, I wanted it, but it's like, mm, Yeah, and know. so <laughs> we had to learn that God somehow in this mystery of prayer uses prayer. Mm-hmm. Like, we can argue with God all day long, why should I pray? You know everything anyway. <laughs> but, or we can be like, okay, you've commanded us in Scripture that we're supposed to pray without ceasing, so we're going to pray even though we don't get it. And even though we, we might not always feel like we're even any good at it, you tell us to pray, God, we're going to pray. And so Di and I began to intentionally pray together. And I led in that as the spiritual leader. Uh, even when she didn't always feel like it or want it, I'm like, no, we're going to pray. And we actually trained ourselves because we would have, there's, and every marriage has this, if you don't, you're really mature or you're lying. Um, <laughs> There were different things, like when bills came due in our marriage, where we might fight about finances, and we had to learn, you know what, before we talk about the finances, let's pray. Or before we go to that family function where we know it's going to be stressful and we want to, you know, go with these wackos, um, let's pray first. And, and again, men, married men, are you leading your wife in prayer? You're praying over her? And not praying like, God, please help her change when she's a jerk type prayers. <laughs> but are you praying with and for your wife? God puts his power into us through prayer. God puts a perspective into us through prayer. God puts a perseverance in hanging in there through prayer. God God does amazing things through prayer. And we look back and we are so grateful that we established the holy habit of praying together. And, and And it's still today, like we pray together. This morning, we prayed together because this protection comes over us when we pray. And we've been able to work through a lot of our junk because we were committed to like, okay, God, we're going to pray together. And we would encourage you married couples to establish that holy habit of praying together. Pray for your kids. Pray for your finances. Pray for the situations at work. Pray. Um, God works through prayer. God is still a God who's still answering prayer, so we'd encourage you Mm -hmm. to pray. We're commanded in Scripture, don't worry about anything, but Pray about everything. So uh, we've learned that prayer welds our hearts together with each other and with the Lord. Mm, thank you for fighting for that area in our life. Mm, it's huge. All right, number three. We've learned to stop trying to change each other and focus on changing me. You know, I spent a lot of time and effort our first years in marriage, even after moving here, becoming a pastor's wife, it was still taking place of trying to change this guy. Whether it was... I don't know um, why. We won't go into that. But 
<laughs> whether it was questioning him over, you know, decisions that he was making or making little jabs at his expense or even just thinking, spending time thinking in my mind, I wish he was different this way or that way. It was really me trying to change him. And these methods never worked for me. And they'll never work for you either. Because it's not our job to change our spouse. Mm -hmm. Our job is to let the Holy Spirit change me. And let the Holy Spirit change them. But instead, Scott and I found ourselves playing this game. You might be familiar with this game. If Surely no one, no one in second service no, at Mitchell Never Price struggles with it. But the first service and last night, they were horrible. The game of I will if he will or she will, but I won't if they don't. Unfortunately, a lot of us have played that game in marriage, and it's a deadly game to marriage because it's sin. And the Bible teaches that sin leads to death. And the Lord drove this lesson home to me personally by using 1 Peter 3. Now, those of you that know 1 Peter 3, you know that that's the scripture that talks about how us wives should um, be under the authority of our husbands and to live that gentle and quiet spirit. But it was really the first four words of 1 Peter 3 that the Lord drove home to me. And the first four words are in the same way. 1 Peter 3, 1 says, In the same way you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. And he uses the same four words in verse 7 when he says, In the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives. And those first four words, in the same way, refers back to the example of our Lord Jesus where Peter was talking about him in chapter 2. Jesus never sinned or deceived anyone. Jesus didn't retaliate when he was insulted. Jesus left his case in the hands of God. Jesus personally carried our sins on the cross so that we could be dead to sin and live for what is right. So Peter was explaining that the unfair treatment that Jesus went through on our behalf and then he said in the same way and so the lord took those four words and spoke to my heart and said die your the way you treat scott should not be based on what he does but it should be based on what i did for you and so that was what helped scott and i both decide, you know what, we're no longer going to play that deadly game of I will if he will or she will, but I won't if she doesn't. And we started living by the truth of God's word that says, I will because Christ did. I will because Christ did. There's too many marriages still arguing and fighting. There's too many marriages who are still trying to control and change each other. And yet Jesus, and in an absolute surrender to him, can change that perspective. And we begin to, I, because you did Christ, I'm going to love my spouse. Mm-hmm. The fourth thing we've learned is that without balance, we fall down. There are too many uh, family units and marriages that are out of balance. I don't know if you've ever drove your car and they're, they're, your tires are out of balance and it shakes and shimmies because your, your tires are out of balance. 
And there are many uh, family units in today's world that are either so busy or so not busy, they're out of balance. And there's, they're trying to do more than what God would expect out of them. There is no Sabbath rest in their life built in. There is no uh, breaks from social media. There, are, there is workaholism going on. There is um, this out-of-balance lifestyle where they end up not having time for each other. They don't have time to really connect at a heart level. They're just two people in marriage just going and going and doing and doing. Mm-hmm. And, and pretty soon, kids leave or circumstances change, and you're like, I don't even know this person. Because there is now intentionality of prayer, intentionality of learning. Uh, it's not about me trying to change them, etc. And so uh, we had to learn the hard way, because it seems like we've had to learn a lot of things the hard way. Fell down a lot. Yeah, we fell down a lot, because Di and I are very driven people. We get a lot done. We're high-capacity people. And we would work way too much, and before long, we're just roommates. And Di and I don't have that natural deal where we just automatically get along. We have to be intentional about speaking into each other's hearts. And so, uh, in fact, the elders of Mitchell Brian were really helpful in challenging us on, like, eh, you're doing way more than God would expect out of you. We're going to send you to Sunscape. And uh, that really helped us learn. Uh, I was reminded of Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 12 that God has told his people, the Bible says here, here is a place of rest. Let the weary rest here. This is a place of quiet rest. But they would not listen. And maybe even for some of you today, you're not listening, really. You're, 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 you have a whole ton of excuses, as Di and I are talking, about every point you're arguing inwardly, arguing, well, you don't know my circumstances. We have to be so busy. There's just no way we could ever make it if we're not so busy, etc. And honestly, just trust God. A balanced life leads to uh, dri- being able to drive smoothly. Uh, and if you persist in, in, in leaving the tires unbalanced in your life, eventually they wear out and start to blow. And it happens all the time in people. We've seen it so much and had to work against it ourselves. So um, a holy balance in life allows you to have a healthy, holy marriage. Mm-hmm. That's good. All right, number five, we've learned to be real with each other. You know, a marriage cannot move forward in the Lord without complete honesty. We have to be real with one another. At that counseling session five years into our marriage that Scott was talking about as he was sharing a little bit of our story, I knew that if our marriage had any chance, any hope, that I had to come clean with Scott and with the Lord. You see, before the counseling session, all I could focus on was Scott's sin. Selfishness. And there was plenty of it. <laughs> We're not going to go there, but... <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of it. <laughs> Selfishness, like he was an alcoholic. I didn't realize what an alcoholic he was. This lack of attention that I felt from him... And really what I was doing without really realizing it was I was justifying my sin because of his sin. The whole, well, I will, B, 
because you are. And at that counseling session, the Holy Spirit worked on my heart in such a way that all I could see was my own sin. Mm. You see, I'd been unfaithful to Scott in our early years of marriage, and that all came out in that counseling session. And I broke before the Lord, and I asked Scott to forgive me. And he did exactly what I told the Lord he would do before the counseling session. He's going to stand up and tell me where to go and the counselor where to go. And he, by golly, he sure did. And so he was gone, but I sat there with the counselor. And the counselor worked with me, and I wanted now our marriage to work. But I didn't know if Scott was going to be around or not. Um, but... God was at work in my heart that day, and God was in, at work in Scott's heart that day, too, even though I couldn't see it. And about five months later, Scott surrendered his life to the Lord. Um, can't go into all the details, but talk about a bizarre, a beautiful, bizarre transformation before my eyes. He went from hating Christians to almost wanting to be a pastor all overnight. He hasn't had a drink of alcohol or chew since that day. So God gloriously saved this man before my very eyes. But we still had a long, hard road to plow. But now Jesus was the center of our marriage. And so, um, you know, it's not easy for me today to admit something that I did 30-some years ago. But you know what? It's a part of my messy story. And I am just so thankful that we have a Lord Jesus who can handle messy stories. He's in the business of redeeming every messy story in our lives. That's why he came to give his life for us. And I no longer sit up here in shame because I know that the blood of Jesus is made me white as snow. Amen. I love Psalm 32, 3, where King David said, When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. This is who I was before I confessed. He says, And I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confess my sins to you and stopped trying to hide all my guilt, and you forgave me. All my shame, all my guilt is gone. And so if you're in that place today where I was, holding on to some secret sin, we encourage you to take it to the cross, to be real, confess your sin to not only God, but to your spouse. You cannot be right with God if you're not right with your spouse. And the only way for your marriage to move forward is by being real with one another. You know, secrets are the tumors of marriage. Mm. They really are. And the secrets we're keeping from our spouse grow. Some grow slowly, but some grow fast. And they ruin marriages. They cancerize and kill a marriage. Secrets always do. And, and we had to go through some surgery. And surgery is never fun if you've ever had surgery. I've had a few. It's, it's painful. never fun. But it's necessary. Mm-hmm. And we would encourage you, if you have 
some tumors in your marriage and you need a surgeon, get a good surgeon, a biblical counselor who can help you go through the surgery and then you need to be an authentic Christian community after the surgery to find hope and healing. Number six of the top ten things we've learned, and it ties obviously in with every one of them, but specifically number five about being real. Forgiveness is essential in a marriage. I had to forgive Di. I had to forgive Scott. And she had to forgive me. I could forgive her fairly easy because I was a jerk, and I knew it. I could understand why she did what she did. I was, not, I was gone roping and drinking all the time. But to forgive the person, the other person, the other party? I know the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Because honestly, and I didn't share this with the other two services, I went to the, his house two weeks after I got saved. I was thinking and got mad, and mad, and mad, and I was going to go kill him. I was going to kill him with my bare hands. I could forgive her, but I wasn't going to forgive him. And I went to that door, and he answered. can't believe I'm sharing this. Are you mad at me? <laughs> I forgive you. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> I was going to kill him. I walked up to that door filled with rage. He answered the door, and I looked him in the eye. And the Holy Spirit of the living God filled me. And I said, what you did was wrong, and I know what you're doing, and it's stopped right now, and Di and I are going to make our marriage work. And I want you to know that I forgive you, and God loves you, and God can forgive you as well. And I turned and walked away. Gotten my pickup and left. <laughs> I hope you're clapping for Jesus because I didn't want to do that. I was, I literally cussed at God. Going, I'm like, blankety blanket, God, why'd you make me do that? <laughs> Friends, I know the resurrection power of Jesus to forgive. Forgiveness is a release. Forgiveness is taking someone off our hook and releasing them to God. True forgiveness takes away the pain eventually. True, authentic, from-the-heart forgiveness based on our forgiveness through Christ allows you and I to have a freedom in life that transcends our trauma. No longer do we try to be God and make somebody pay for their sin that they've done against us because we've released them to God. And some of you need to forgive today. Some of you as an act of worship, need to forgive that person who's hurt you to the very core of your being and taken stuff from you that you'll never get back. And Jesus Christ is still in the business of granting his resurrection power to give forgiveness, to make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends us. We are living testimony to the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. 
We are living testimony, and it's not easy to be transparent time after time after time. But when we started at Mitchell Berean, we decided a couple things. One, we knew God called us together to serve Jesus together, and we decided we were going to be, we feel, appropriately transparent and have a culture in this church that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad you've messed up your life, you can be forgiven in Jesus Christ. Amen. And God called us to be transparent about this. And it's still not easy, but it's still the testimony of our awesomeness of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we've learned that a lifestyle of forgiveness allows God to build a mature marriage. Amen. I love Amen. you, Di. I love you. <laughs> So as we've been sharing these um, different lessons that we've learned, we know that there's nothing new under the sun. And what we have shared is probably lessons that you're learning as well. But isn't it amazing and true how we need to be reminded of these basic truths of God's word? Because we're all good forgetters. And as we are married, we have a tendency to take each other for granted and stop saying those kind words like, I love you, and thank you, and you're amazing. Um, And so it's times like this that the Lord is good to remind us of what really matters to him and how we need to live lives that are, are kind to one another and reflecting the power and grace of God. So, okay, number seven, we need to keep moving here. Yes. We've learned to love each other according to their needs. Now, we all know the first half of that. Well, sure, we love each other. But it's that second half of the statement that we need to pay attention to, according to their needs. You know, when God created male and female, he created us uniquely different. I don't care what the world says. We are uniquely different as husband and wife, as male and female. And it includes gender differences in how we feel loved. Women most often feel loved when her emotional needs are met. The affection and the touching and the talking. But men most generally feel loved when they are respected and when their physical needs are met. Now, if you've gone through the Love and and Respect book, you're well acquainted with the phrase, not wrong, just different. And by the way, I heard you're going to have a Love and Respect study coming up, and there's spots open. Get in it. It's the best marriage study that we've ever taken, and so we highly recommend that. But you know what happens so often in our marriage is we have a tendency to love our spouse the way we like to be loved. That's just how we are. We're selfish about everything. (laughs) And we we love the other person just like how we want to be loved. And so um, we have to learn how to love the way they need loved. Back in the day when we were here at Mitchell Brian, we were getting ready for a marriage retreat, which you are as well. Get in that as well. Those are awesome to go to, to refresh. This is maybe, hopefully... Um, like motivator motivator we Mm -hmm. need to go to that marriage retreat Um, but anyway we were getting ready for this marriage retreat and in preparation for that we did this survey maybe some of you were a part of people here at Mitchell Berea yep and um, we asked the same question to the husbands and wives and the question was what makes you feel most loved by your spouse 
And so this is what the wives wrote down in the survey. These were some of the comments that we got. When he holds my hand, when he tells me I'm beautiful, when he just holds me and listens to me without trying to fix me, when he includes me in making decisions for our family, when he doesn't ignore me, when he tells me I'm doing a good job as a mom, when he prays with me, when he chooses to spend time with me instead of his buddies, when he writes a note or text saying that he's thinking of me, when he holds me without expecting it to turn physical, when he helps me in the home, when he notices and appreciates what I have done. So woman, women, wouldn't that like, yep, that, that kind of says us. This is what the husband said when she spends time with me, when she shows me she needs me physically, when she doesn't question me, when she doesn't interrupt me, when she believes in me, when she cheers me on, when she publicly edifies me, when she initiates sex, when she trusts in me, when she's intimate with me, when she goes places with me, when she makes love to me, when she takes care of our home and children, when she helps me. And so, again, not wrong, but definitely different. For her, it's more about her emotional needs being met, and for him, it's more about his physical needs being met. And it's not wrong to have different needs. So loving your spouse is probably not going to come natural to you. And there's going to be times when you just don't feel like it, if we're honest. And that's why I love Philippians 2.13, and I have used this as a prayer in my marriage, which says, this is NLT, God is working in you, giving you the desire. Lord, I don't feel like it giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So next time you're struggling and you're like, you just don't feel like it, whatever it is, use this scripture as a prayer in your marriage. Lord, I don't feel like it. Give, give me the desire and the power to do what pleases you by serving my spouse. Thanks, Di. Hmm. Number eight, we've learned that physical, emotional, and spiritual intimacy is glorifying to God. This isn't always the easiest subject to talk about, uh, intimacy in a corporate worship gathering. And yet, can I just remind us that Larry Flint didn't create sex. Playboy didn't create sex. It didn't originate on East Colfax in Denver. You know where sex was created? In heaven, in the mind of God. And then he created human beings as sexual beings. Sex is not wrong. It's not bad. It is an act of worship between a husband and a wife that brings glory to God. Your sex life is a good revealer of how healthy your marriage is if you're both physically able. In the garden, Adam and Eve, before they sinned, were naked and without shame. They were naked and not ashamed. And in Christian marriage, you can learn your identity in Christ that you can be naked and not ashamed. God wants you, if you're married, to have sex. He's not against that. 
If you're not married and you're having sex, you're living in sin. And God in his grace and in his holiness will discipline you out of that somehow, some way. But my friends, it's amazing to us as all the counseling we've done is that Satan, it's just the exact opposite of God's plan for sex. Satan, before you you get married, does everything he can to get you to have sex. And then you get married and Satan does everything he can to keep you from having sex. It's just the opposite of what God wants. God says no sex until a marriage covenant is made and now I want you to have sex. Completely different. And in a messed up world sexually where porn is so evident, where it is so splashed across the pages of everything we read, there, there is amazing sexual dysfunction. Studies have shown, though, that Christians, evangelical Christians, who walk with Jesus and understand they can be naked and not ashamed, who understand the biblical theology of being created in the image of God and so created in a sexual manner, have the most frequent and the best sex lives of any other people group studied. Evangelical Christians can learn to embrace being naked and not ashamed. God's word says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come back together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. There's a lot in that passage uh, that, would, that we don't have time to go over. But I do want you to see in that passage, your refusal to ha- be sexually intimate with your spouse is saying to Satan, come on in and have some control here. Mm-hmm. And it's wrong and it's sin. And, and again, we were broken individuals that had to learn and grow and, and find hope and healing in Jesus even in this area of our life. But we learned that the resurrection power of Jesus is sufficient even in this area of life. And he can still fix you and bring you hope and healing. And so we've learned that a healthy sex life is glorifying to God. And we've learned that practice makes perfect. (laughs) I knew he was going to say that. That's his favorite line in this area. But really, when I look at those verses, I'm always reminded of the difference between, like the world teaches us that sex is about what we get. Mm. But God's word, I believe, teaches us it's about giving, not getting. Mm. It's about learning how to give and serve your spouse. And when you're both putting the other before yourself, it's a beautiful thing. And so God's plan and design is always the best way, the only way. 
Uh, well said. And I had to talk, do that point last service with my 94-year-old dad <laughs> and my older sister in the audience. Yeah. It was Awkward. a little easier for this service, Awkward. believe me. Awkward. Are we to nine? Everybody's yes. uncomfortable. We need to get to yeah. nine. Church. Moving on. We've learned to love the church like Christ loves his church. Friends, do you love your church? If Mitchell Brian is your church home or if you're visiting from another church, do you love your church? Mm. Jesus loves his church. Mm. And there's this huge movement in Christendom today of people who say, well, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. Mm. And friends, that's such a lie. Mm. God's plan for this time period in history is the local church. And I know it's a pain. And there's weirdos and wackos in every church. Usually that's just the ones on staff and the elders. <laughs> but, but do you love your church? Jesus loves his church. He loves mm. his church. He's never lied to us. He's never cheated on us. He's never given up on us. Mm. Someday he's coming back to get us. He loves his mm. church. Scripture is clear in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loves his church. And there is this unique dynamic in Christian marriages when the couple decides, you know what, I'm going to love my church enough to be committed to it, to serve my church, to serve you, Christ, through my local church. I'm going to love my church enough to sacrifice for it. There's a unique health that then comes into that marriage. And Christian marriages who are like holding their local church at bay, not serving, kind of being half, um, I'm a cowboy, i got to be careful what I say, uh, half, um, half weighed, good. I'm doing good, um, half weighed in their commitment to a local church, their marriages suffer. You want to have a godly marriage? Love your church. Love Jesus by loving his church. So there's a direct correlation there. And then, I love how you've said in the past, I've heard you say, don't date your church. Marry your church. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I forgot that. Thanks. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, number 10, and we're running out of time, but number 10, we've learned. We have every service. So. Yeah. Yeah, we've went over every service. Forgive we'll, us. We'll, we'll never be asked back, but <laughs> we've learned that all of this stuff we've just talked about is impossible. Yeah. Every point we've made is impossible. Mm-hmm. Impossible without being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Friends, Christianity, authentic biblical Christianity, is different than any other belief system in the world. Every other religious system is you try and try and you do and do and you hope the God or gods approve you somehow. But authentic Christianity is God came to us in the person and work of Jesus. He took your place and mine on the cross. He died on that cross, was buried, and on the third day was raised from the dead. And then after that, he said, I can't stay here on earth. I need to leave because the Holy Spirit is going to come and give you power. Hmm. Friends, authentic Christianity is not about us in our own strength trying somehow to have a good marriage. Our, Our walk with Jesus, the Holy Spirit empowers us to love our wife to love each other the way they need loved, to love his church, to forgive, to get real. A a sign of the work of the Holy Spirit 
is these other things we've talked about previously. The Bible teaches very clearly in Romans chapter 8 that the same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead now lives in us. Friends, you don't lack power in your marriage. You don't lack power to have a good and godly marriage. You lack surrender. You lack obedience. You lack tapping into the power of the Spirit to allow you to live out these biblical commands to have a marriage that brings glory to God and is a holy marriage. We beg you. We beg you. You don't have to endure a horrible marriage. Now, some of you have had really horrible marriages and we're sorry about that and you couldn't fix them. And the spouse is gone and you release them to God and you go on. But for those of you who, if you're both Christians and you're here today or you're listening online, Jesus Christ is still changing marriages. He still is, and he can change yours. That's, we got to end on that. That's awesome. I have no, nothing you, more to add. No, really? I'm okay. done. Yeah, that was awesome. Father, thank you. Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead, will you raise dead marriages right now? Hmm. Raise them up. May they both be committed to prayer. May they both be committed to bringing glory to you by a marriage of peace and honor and authentic sacrificial love. A unique understanding of each other's pain. A unique understanding of the wounds. And a unique, amazing resurrection power through your spirit. Oh, God, do miracles in the marriages here today. Help them not worship the idolatry of trying to be bitter. But may they worship you, Christ, by a lifestyle of forgiveness with each other and a mutual edification and honoring a joy and a delight. And if they have kids, may those kids grow up in a home where mommy and daddy love Jesus and love each other. The greatest gift these couples can give their kids is a home of peace and joy and sacrificial love. Oh God, do a work like only you can. Thank you, Jesus.